The following podcast contains coarse language. Hello and welcome to Two for None, your favourite cricket podcast that you listen to out of the thousands that you do. My name is Patrick Cullen and I am of course here with my co-host, an absolute legend of a human being, Christopher T. Barty. Barty, how are you sir? How are you tracking over there in the wild, wild west of Western Australia? Well mate, um, I'm halfway through a bowl of honey chicken. <laughs> um, it's a little bit cold. I, I actually started about half an hour ago and then for some reason... I haven't touched it in half an hour, and now I've decided now's the time to start again. Great, but it good. is still good. It's still holding up. So I'll, let me just finish because um, it's very nice. But so um, how about I just pad for the next sort of ten or fifteen minutes? Yeah, and you can just uh, finish your chicken I'll, there. I'll pad for the next ten to fifteen before, minutes. Yeah. Before you, before you do, uh, Chris, can you just tell me how you're feeling um, following this four nil Ashes victory? Can you tell me where you're at? Uh, well, like uh, like the other Chinese dish, which is uh, before me, Pat, I'm feeling a little bit sweet and sour. Um, <laughs> the reason being that, uh, you, you know, the Ashes series, uh, you know, there's so many great uh, great moments and things that we wished would happen that, that did, did happen. So many great um, moments. Chuck a So block. many great moments. Um, and, you know, the, the Marsh Brothers obviously did phenomenally well, which is something that I uh, was hoping for. And, um, you know, the Australian pace attack did a brilliant job. Uh, Nathan Lyon, what a um, you know, did sublimely well. Um, you know, the uh, wicket-keeping situation kind of resolved itself, um, which is great. Um, and, uh, it was, you know, Steve Smith, obviously, I think these ashes will be remembered as Smith's ashes. Um, those, so those are the sweet aspects. I think the sour aspects um, probably come a little bit from the English side. <laughs> I believe you're relating a whole Ashes, you know, five tests over a two months of cricket to your dinner. But I love it. Keep going. <laughs> uh, to be technical, Pat, it was actually last night's dinner. Okay, I, sorry. That's I'm all right. I'm um, That's how good it was. I've gone back for more. Um, Goodness. I've come back to this piece of shit five times. Um, <laughs> Bang for your Uber Eats bark, if you ask me. Oh, yeah. uh, what were the sour no. aspects, Chris? What were the yeah, sour, no, the sour to the sweet aspects? The sour aspects. Um, look, I think uh, you know there were still some good English performances, and we you know we'll speak a little bit more about our mate well, Welsh Dave. Um, we love Welsh I Dave. Think, yeah, yeah, Welsh Dave was fantastic. Man I of think the, pod. the du- man, man of the pond. Um, the uh, young quick, of course. Uh, uh, Tom the date current, I think did reasonably well. Um, and um, not to be confused with Tom the raisin current, who's a whole other guy. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm switching. You know, it'll be a different drive through every week. Um, next week it'll be a sultana. Um, but um, Tom look, the dried fig current. <laughs> the fig. Uh, are they good? I haven't had one. Um, but delicious. Come to Sydney sometime, mate. You get them in every other artisanal bakery. Right. You know, uh, you get figs in ice cream now. It's I don't know. Yeah, I'm Can, not sure I mean, about that. Yeah, you know, do they belong? Don't know. Um, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I mean, we're all for diversity, except for when it comes to figs in ice cream. Everyone's got to draw the line there. Um, yeah, I believe that they're going to build a wall, Chris, and they're going to make butterscotch pay for it. Is what I've heard. Right. <laughs> That's TV right. confirmed. So. Well, I, that's, I just felt highly unusual considering uh, Neapolitan have been living side by side in Harmony for years. Well, I mean, isn't that a great example for us all? Neapolitan ice cream. Uh, yes, Tommy the date, Curran, was a definite highlight for the English. Um, and, and it gave them some hope, I think, I yeah. think moving forward. Um, fella, we'll, we'll get into the men's actions. We'll get there. We've got a big show today. So here's what we're going to cover. We're going to cover the test that wrapped up, uh, the fifth test at the SCG. We're going to do yep. some WBBL and, and check love in it. on the table and where all that's at because we love our WBBL here at Two for None. Uh, and we're going to preview the ODI series, which starts tomorrow. Uh, when it comes to the test series, Chris, I actually went down to the ground, put a deposit on an ice cream and oh. uh, was there with my lovely partner, Sean. Sean also does the logo for Two for None. Uh, so, you know, she's a friend of the pod, friend of friend the pod. Of and mm-hmm. mate, she she took your job from you. I hate to I hate to alarm you. Yeah, I know. I'm as alarmed mm. as you are. Um, she 
she's uh, yeah, she did some excellent commentary. So we'll we'll cut to my supercut of day five a little later in the piece. But for the moment, CTB, let's move our focus to the WBBL. And mate, there has been movement, there has been moving and shaking all over this table. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give us a quick rundown of where things stand at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think last time we spoke, um, both Sydney sides were doing phenomenally well. But as of this morning's result in the Red Centre in Alice Springs, um, the Adelaide Strikers have cemented themselves in second spot on the table, which is absolutely um, fantastic. Led ably by uh, Susie Bates, who was just a, a beast this morning. Oh, yeah. Um, so they are sitting six and three behind the Sydney Thunder, who are well clear on top on seven and two. Um, Brisbane Heat coming in third. Uh, our pre-tournament favourites, the Sydney Sixers, have slid to fourth. Goodness. Um, and uh, the other threats that we thought potentially for the title of Perth Scorchers um, are sitting just outside the top four, on also on five and four. So I tell you what, the race for the semifinals is wide open. And if you make those semifinals, um, I think uh, as long as you can see clear of the Sydney Thunder, anyone's a chance to uh, to win. Look, the Thunder have been in incredible form, but do mate, I just want to have a quick chat about this uh, Strikers versus Scorchers game, which went down mm. today in Alice Springs, mm-hmm. because the Scorchers batted first and made 87, um, and that's a really freaking low score. Yeah. Um, the Scorchers have got a heck of a batting lineup, mm. and credit really has to go to the uh, the Strikers bowlers there, who really held them to yep. account. I mean, you got big names, mate. Volani made two. Bolton made ten. You know, yep. uh, Heather Graham named, I assume, after the incredible actress who was in uh, Austin Powers. Uh, yep. <laughs> but that's oh, maybe a pure quick Um uh, She made 19. There were some good scores off there. 19 off 17. You know, they, they, they smashed a couple. The tail did fall away, but the strikers really held them to an extremely competitive score there. Mm. Um, big shout-outs to Talia McGrath, who only bowled three overs and took three for 17. Mm-hmm. I mean... That is pretty freaking awesome, CTB. Um, and when it comes to the strikers, well, they came in and batted them out of the game. Susie Bates made 49 off 47 um, and was not ably supported by her fellow opener who was out first <laughs> ball for a quacker. Nice work, Tammy Beaumont. Had obviously a bad day at the office there. Um, Sophie Devine made 18. Talia McGrath came in with a bat, batting yeah. four, and made 14 off 18. Crucial runs there to win the game. I mean, Susie Bates won the player of the match, but, mate, for me, it's all about that McGrath. Yeah, mate. How nice is it to see Talia McGrath, um, A. McGrath, um, you know, taking wickets uh, and being misley? Oh, um, just cockles of memories. my heart. The cockles mm. of my heart, Chris. Warmed. Oh, well, great. Um, <laughs> like wearing a, it's like wearing a snuggie, snuggie for your a heart. snuggie. It's a cricketing snuggie. It's a cricketing snuggerino. Yeah. <laughs> That's a technical term. Don't feel overwhelmed, friends. Of the yep. party be no. just tuning in. <laughs> Do they still sell? They probably sell them on like TVSN or something. Um, snuggies, snuggies. Surely, surely they've got it. Yeah, it'd be wise. Look, um, if you're no, a snuggy look- supplier, um, please email us at gingersnapsydney at gmail.com uh, and Chris and I will take some photos in your snuggies. Um, we are prepared to do that. Independently or together. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you like. Uh, um, yeah, right. no, but um, I think one of the reasons for this, the uh, Adelaide strike is success. I mean, obviously, you've got Susie Bates, who's an absolute demon, um, but they've got a really diverse bowling attack. Um you know, obviously, uh, Megan Schutz, um, a, a weapon. Um, Amanda Wellington's a great leg spinner. Um, and then Tali McGrath coming in there with uh, with some uh, seamers, um, you know, taking wickets and, and, and keeping things tight. Um, you know, they're a pretty formidable uh, um, side to be reckoned with. I think there were probably a couple of things um, that I took away from this morning as well. Um, so, I, it's the first time I think they've played a 2020 match in Alice Springs and um, the first thing that kind of struck me was just how green the wicket was. Yeah, right. So, it was, you know, clearly bowler-friendly conditions, which um, I think is actually, you know, a really good thing um, yeah. for 2020. I mean, obviously, you know, we see the batsmen, you know, going hammer and tong um, and uh, smashing sixes out of the park and all Big that Big bats, thing. small boundaries, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, exactly. But... Uh, you know, I think uh, if you can give a little bit more power to the bowlers, um, you know, that's also a really 
fast-paced game, which uh, you know is great value to watch. I mean, if you think back to the, I think it was the pool match in the 2015 50-over World Cup uh, uh-huh. in the men's between Australia and New Zealand, when it would they were uh, Australia were bowled out for 150 and almost defended it, only to have I think Ross Taylor hit a six off the last ball. Yes. Um, you know, that was a great game. You know, low-scoring games are good to watch. They're great to watch. It doesn't always have to be 10 and over. And I think the secret to 2020 success is um, variety, you know. Absolutely. If we're going to see something different every game, it will be worth watching, um, uh, you know, long into the future um, because uh, we won't know what to expect. Absolutely, Chris. I completely agree with you there. Variety is the spice of life. Um, let's talk about this top of the table game, CTB. So the Sixers mm. played the Thunder today, 2.30. This is this is hot off the proverbial presses, folks. Um, and that was, a, that was a game I expected to be quite tight, but the Thunder made pretty easy work of the Sixers, CTB, if we're all being right. honest with each other. Um, okay. Alyssa Healy made one. Alyssa's been struggling with the bat. I don't. I don't want to throw dispersions around, but maybe she needs to have a chat to to young Mitchell Stark about taking the old long handle to suckers and letting him know who's boss. Um, well, a very competent batter, Alyssa Healy. Uh, don't get me wrong, but she's been struggling of late. Her opening partner, Elise Perry, uh, was out for twenty five, and well mm-hmm. done to uh, the bowler, Miss Gibson. There, Maisie Gibson, uh, who who got her LBW. That's what you need in your existence. Uh, from there, there's lots of starts 11s 23s to Sarah McGlashan um, 13 to Angela Reeks down the order but nobody really went on to with it and and the strikers sorry the sixes finished up with 113 uh, big credit to Samantha Bates there who got three for 21 or four um, which is an excellent bowling performance so the thunder come out to bat and immediately, Rachel Priest also gets a quacker off the first ball. Um, and the Sixers think they're into the game. Alex Blackwell, the great Alex Blackwell, also goes for a duck off seven. But from there, it was all about Naomi Stallenberg, um, who, with Haman Pritkua, made 27. They had about a, a 60-run partnership there that really set the game up. From there, it was pretty easy work, and they ended up getting six for 114 to easily win the game. Naomi Stallenberg won player of the match, mm. CTB. So it, it really looks like a champion team versus a team of champions there, fella. I mean, the Thunder are now heading away. They are on top of the table with an extra win than anybody else, um, and they look pretty difficult to beat. Yeah, look, they do look like a really um, well-drilled outfit at the moment, don't they, um, for Sydney Thunder? And you know, I think um, one of the key things there is um, the leadership of Alex Blackwell. I mean, as you mentioned, um, obviously got out for a duck today, but I think her impact in the field is uh, you know can't be understated. Um, the impact of uh, having a, an experienced campaigner like Rachel Haynes as well. Um, look, obviously, you know, made 17 today, but made them in relatively quick uh, succession. So I think those sorts of cool heads are, um, you know, are, are really, really helpful. Um, you know, they clearly, re- clearly recruited really well and they're really well drilled. Um, I'm not quite prepared to get off the Sydney Sixers just yet. Sure. Um, you love I think a bandwagon, the- CTB. You've always accused me of being a, a ship jumper. <laughs> Uh, as you'll be a long-lasting accusation to me. Because right now I'm thinking to myself, that's a ship I'm going to jump. But you, yep. CTB, you see things through. I mean, you're a, a diehard Dockers supporter, so I guess that's oh, the way yeah. you have to live your life. You know, you, you you stay on the ship until it goes down and Celine Dion starts playing. Mate, you, uh, you jump further than Bob Beeman. Um, <laughs> I'm not prepared to confirm or deny that. <laughs> Um, man, Bob Beeman could jump a long way. He could way. jump a long way. I mean, that was an obscure reference, um, and I, I highly recommend people <laughs> Google Bob Beeman. Yeah. Okay, there's uh, probably an hour of highlights somewhere there, CDB. There is. Um, no, no. Uh, Bob Beeman, for those who aren't familiar, is uh, an, a former American uh, Olympic long jumper who was, uh, a, a, I believe, held the world record for a very long time. 23 years, in fact, Pat. Oh, goodness. Uh, until it was broken in 1991. Um, did you but, Google um, that or did you know that? Well, I knew Bob Beeman, but I didn't know 23 years. Okay, I okay, a, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I distracted you. Please continue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. 
No, but um, no, look, I'm not quite prepared to jump off the Sydney Sixers just yet because um, there is you, you look through their team sheet and it is just stacked. Um, yeah. You know, Healy, Perry, Gardner. Um, you know, that's you, you don't get much better in terms of the top three um, going around than that. Um, you know, Van Niekerk, um, our favourite South African. We love um, that South African. You know, he's uh, he's an absolute de- demon with the ball, um, spinning it every which way. So, you know, I'm not quite prepared to, to jump off. I think they're kind of one of those teams um, that if they can make it to the semis um, and and do what they need to do, then on their day, you know, they are, um, you know, as dangerous as anyone. It does look like it is, um, you know, going to be really tightly contested, though, which is, which is great. Because which um, we, we sort of thought the Sydney sides would run away with it there for a little while. Um, CTB, can I throw you some quick stats? Just because we mentioned Dane Van Niekirk, um, and we're all about that, that Dane... Uh, she has 16 wickets at 171, an average of 10 <laughs> uh, right. for this for the BBL. I, I think that's incredible. 31 overs, 171 wickets. Uh, sorry, 171 runs for 16 wickets, a best bowling of four mm. for 13. I mean, that's well, I outrageous. Mean, it's, it's ridiculous. You know, if you said that a side uh, that a team had lost 16 uh, wickets for 171 runs, you'd be like, "What's up? What? That's some kind of batting collapse." Um, you know, so she's obviously been just in ridiculous form. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's the thing I think with the Sixers is, um, you know, clearly, um, you know, they've had a couple of off games, but I'll, I bet I, I am backing them to bounce back. Speaking of friends of the pod, CTB, before we move on to, um, some contention in the men's game, I just wanted to tip the hat to another friend of the pod, whether she knows it or not, uh, Beth Mooney. Uh, who again scored another 57 this week off 38 balls at a strike rate of 150 to win the game for the Heat against the Stars. She's such a freaking gun. Um, I'm all about that Beth Mooney. Uh, She is just straight up killing it. She has 376 runs at an average of 62. Uh, Is second on the the matches and on the uh, batting averages list. Uh, Just a bloody, just a straight up legend. Uh, Straight up legend, BL Mooney, get her in the side. Oh, you know, in the words of uh, Leanne Rhymes, you uh, you can't fight the Mooney. <laughs> so, um, oh, Leanne Rhymes reference. That is fantastic. I'm sure Leanne Rhymes is pleased about that, mate. I don't think anybody's mentioned her name in about 10 years. I don't know. Let's give her a Google. Let's see what's going on. Let's move on before we get too lost in the wheeze. Um, mate, I did want to run something pious here because you mm-hmm. are a cricketing aficionado. Uh, and when I know we don't talk about the men's BBL a lot on this pod, um, at least at the moment, but I did want to mention that there was a fair bit of contention this week with right. a player giving being given out for obstructing the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex Ross, I believe, uh, from the Heat, was running for a two and was sliding into his crease, moved his body to be potentially in line with the ball as the throw came in to hit the stumps, bounced off his bat, hit the stumps, and then he was given out for obstructing the field. Mm. Um, Brendan McCullum was pretty upset, the captain of the Heat. He thought that was was nonsense. Was pretty upset with George Bailey for appealing for it. Um, George defended his actions. There's been a lot of hoo ha. I mean, what did you make of it, CTV? Um, well, it's a bit like uh, reminds me a bit of the um, Whitlam dismissal. Remind you of the Whitlam dismissal, Chris? Uh, well, look, uh, hear me out. So, <laughs> I'm all ears. As I as I understand it, obviously Alex Ross plays a shot out to the deep. Uh, the batsmen push out for two runs. As he's as he's coming back for the second run, obviously the bat. You, you know he uh, uh, is really unfortunate. The the ball is thrown in for the deep, hits the bat, and hits the stumps. Um, and a, a shocked Matthew Wade just kind of appeals um, because the uh, you know the ball hit the stumps. Fair enough. Um, the question is not so much the run out because obviously he was clearly safe, um, but the fact that he did deviate off his line. And if you look at the replay, you know he has clearly deviated off his line. Um, so the question for me is not so much whether he's out. Um, it's more or not whether it was in the spirit of the game. Um, you know, I think the, the reasoning offered by Ross after the game was he was looking to protect himself, um, which he clearly did a dog, you know, dog meat job of. Um, cause he got hit anyway. Um, he's looking to protect himself Great by ru- running away Alex from the ball. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't in the spirit of the game. And, and that's why it reminds me of the Whitlam dismissal is because, um, look, 
Whitten clearly engaged in some behavior that was perhaps a little bit uh, suspect. Um, but uh, blocking supply, was it in the spirit of the game? Don't know. Well within his rights, Malcolm Fraser, well within his rights. Was it within the spirit of the game? That's for others to judge. Um, Do you know what's wonderful about this podcast, Chris? People come here to hear cricketing analysis. Little did they know they were going to get Australian political history. Um, you know, you come for the cricket, stay for, for whatever else occurs to us as we go along. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you, mate. I hear you. It's definitely contentious um, and, and, and quite a problematic one. And I understand Matty Wade just wanting to appeal for the run out for sure. sure. So, uh, I mean, the umpire gave him out for me. I mean, and, and yeah. that's, that's the be all and end all, I guess. I think um, the other issue for me is like, you know, what did they appeal for? You know, did, uh, I'm not sure. Sh- I'm not, what I'm not sure of is did they clearly appeal um, for obstructing the field or were they just appealing for the run out and then he got given out for something else? I think that's where there might be, need to be some clarification. And look, maybe in our appeals going forward, CTB, um, we need to be quite clear. Like, you know, Lino going down on one knee, putting both hands in the air, needs to slap his left leg to indicate <laughs> LBW. Um, or, you know, Paddy yeah. Cummins running around behind needs to, like, touch his glove and appeal at the same time for, you yeah, know, the or, behind. you know, maybe they can, like, throw their voice or something. Um, oh, wow. Now we're getting technical. I love it. Yeah. Have you ever seen that beatboxer, um, Razel? He's good. Yes. Yeah, yes. he needs to do all the appeals from now on. <laughs> I think that'd solve all problems, Chris. I yeah. think that'd solve all problems. <laughs> so, you know, one, one level he needs to appeal, on the second level he needs to provide a descriptor of what it is that he's doing. And on the third level, he needs to just lay some rad beats for the fellas to uh, run into. I yeah. mean, I think that'd be a pretty great day at the office. I'd be more inclined to watch the... I mean, I do watch the Big Bash because, you know, it's cricket, but I would be more enthused about it if uh, Raza was involved. So, let's, <laughs> let's make that happen. Look, I'm going to go out on a limb and just call Razel a friend of the pod. I'm sure he's. <laughs> I'm sure Razel loves his cricket podcast. Yep. Oh, goodness. Let's move on. Let's dive into the glorious Ashes victory that happened at the SCG last week. Mm-hmm. First innings. England won the toss and Joe Root elected to bat, which I think was a great call, uh, yep. given that he had a leg spinner in the squad. Finally, they picked Mason Crane after, you know, four tests of me calling for him to come into the side. Yep. They finally listened to the pod. Brilliant news. Mason Crane comes in, bat mm-hmm. first. Good idea. Alistair Cook and Mark Stoneman, Mark The Rock Stoneman, maybe even Mark Easter Island Stoneman, I'm yep. prepared to work on nicknames. Uh come out to bat and they did a pretty good job uh alistair cook got a 39 stoneman got a 24 vince got a 25 stoneman and vince they've looked okay ctb they've had moments Mm. in this series but they haven't looked like they've really stitched up their places i mean what would you make of those two new boys for the for the palms um it looks solid um solid uh if not not spectacular, um, but I think, you know, there's enough there that would suggest um, that those are guys that you can take to your next test series for sure. For sure. I, I completely agree. And look, the loss of their wickets brought Joe Root and Dawid Milan to the crease. And on that first day, they batted particularly well. That last session, they were looking pretty good until mm. all of a sudden Mitchell Stark came back on late in the day. Mitchell Marsh took an absolute screamer at backward at sort of square leg. Mm-hmm. to remove Joe Root, and David Milan got out soon after. And then all of a sudden, things completely fell apart for England. Within the last mm-hmm. over, um, Johnny Best, though, came out to bat instead of sending in a night watchman. And for me, CTB, that was absolutely pivotal. Losing Bairstow's wicket at the end of the day, um, Bold Hazelwood caught pain, completely mm-hmm. twisted this whole game in Australia's favour. I mean, how did you see that whole last day pan out, CTB? You know, they were really, England were really cruising, weren't they? At three for 228. Um, yeah. And looking absolutely dangerous. Uh, you know, we weren't sure where Australia was going to get a wicket from. It looked like a batsman's paradise. Um, you know, they say catches win matches. Uh, and absolutely got to give credit to Mitch Marsh, who took an absolute pearler at square leg um, to remove uh, Joe Root. You know, kind of created a wicket out of nothing. Um, I understand um, why Johnny Besto would want to go in to make a bat. Um, before uh, you know the close Johnny of Bairstow play, Johnny Bairstow makes bats. He he makes them <laughs> to a have bat. a bat <laughs> to partake in batsmanship. <laughs> to partake in the interests of batting. I I agree. Yeah, I'm right. <laughs> um, uh, to indulge himself in the wielding of the willow before uh, the I'm setting kidding. of the sun. 
for the day. Um, no, but I can understand why he would want to do that uh, because, uh, you know, Johnny Best, though, by all accounts, is a, is a competitor. You know, he really loves a contest. He's um, a street fighting man. A, yeah, a bit of a pugilist, some might say. Oh, goodness, Chris. Great word. Crack uh, out the dictionary, folks. Yeah. Um, uh, he loves the contest, and I think you know it's it's a high high risk, high reward maneuver because if Johnny Bairstow comes out, um, sees the day through, maybe adds a couple of runs, um, then psychologically, I think that has an impact potentially on the Australian balls. And I think, oh great, you know, we're potentially in for a long one here. But um, you know, conversely, he gets out, and all of a sudden, um, instead of being um, you know four for 250 at the end of the day you know they're five for 233 so yes you know i mean that's that's a big issue and i think the second thing is that what it denied them is the chance for um best though to bat time with uh milan and potentially with mo and ali who played his best uh knock i thought of the series um and really put australia away um, so easier to say in hindsight you know pat every, everyone everybody has a phd in hindsight that's um <laughs> As one of my favorite sayings. Yep. Yeah, everyone has a PhD in hindsight. But um, just, you know, he's such a valuable asset and has been such a valuable asset for them this series in terms of what has been a relatively shaky middle order. Um, Absolutely. You might have wanted to protect protect him a little bit and, and just let him rip on uh, on day two. And also, you, Do you, you know don't, what, mate? I'm, you I'm thinking know. this now, but I think you're onto something there. I mean, maybe Besto was doing that to protect Moeen. You reckon? In a really weird way, you know, to to be able to set a platform for Mo to come in and have a good sure. day. Like, as a, as a team sort of play, I can totally see that. But at the same time, mate, like, like why wouldn't you get... There's, you've, got a, you've, got a, you've got a debutante in the squad. You know, debutantes are good for two things. They're great for whacking under the lid, putting mm. them at silly mid on and seeing them cop a few in the old nose. And mm-hmm. they're great for getting them out to play night watchmen yeah. and take a few in the ribs. That's and, right, yeah. And, why wouldn't you get Mason the Stork Crane out? <laughs> I'm inventing nicknames all over the joint. Why wouldn't you get the Stork out there? You know, put him on his big two legs and see if he um see if he can't block a couple. Yeah, look, uh, you know, that's the thing about being a rookie, mate. Is you uh, whether you know it or not, and often you don't. Um, you're expected to donate your organs to the cause. Um, and uh, I would have, you know, I, I would have put him out there and uh, and said, "Hey, son, this is uh, kind of what Test cricket's all about." Um, as it turns out, he had a bit of a difficult intro- introduction, as it was. Yeah, um, true. But uh, it, it, you know, it was. It turns out there was a critical moment in the Test match, wasn't it? So anyway, Absolutely. we uh, we move on. And mate, look, I, I thought it was a great bowling performance from the Aussie bowlers. Uh, Stark got two for eighty, Hazelwood two for sixty-five, Cummins mm. four for eighty, um, Paddy Cummins bowled like a god, and Nathan Lyon just just dig these stats for a second. CTB thirty-seven overs, five maidens, one for eighty-six, and an economy rate of two point three two. They mm. could not get him away to save themselves. Um, and and I, I just. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Nathan Lyon has done such an exceptional job uh, Mm. in this whole test series. When he hasn't been taking wickets, he's been very difficult for the English to get away. Mm -hmm. And it's been the real difference, I think, between the Australian side and the English side has been how easy the Australians have dealt with Moeen Alley, by and large, and how difficult the English have found dealing with with, uh, Nathan Lyon. Yeah. Well, you know, I think um, there's a, a, a stats there where the average, the bowling average for the English spinners for the series was 113 oh. or something like that. So, um, that's Goodness. pretty ridiculous in itself. And if you compare, I mean, 1 for 86, you might think, oh, well, those figures aren't overly impressive. But he got through a mountain of work. And, you know, I think um, in, in years gone by... Um, you know, Nathan Lyons certainly had some chances missed off his bowling. Um, I think he's, he probably still had a couple of chances missed off his bowling in this series as well. Um, but what he's been able to do is, is you know, not drop, you know, potentially not drop his head and just keep bowling absolute uh, peaches. Um, so it's been great to see um, his performances. And, mate, the other Aussie bowler we've got to tip our hat to is Paddy Cummins. Mm. I mean... Uh, he bowled exceptionally well and he's bowled well this whole season we've mentioned that before as well but what's spectacular is the fact that he made it through all five tests like yep. just compute that in your brain Paddy Cummins played all the tests in India and he's played all the tests yep. in Australia I mean 
even at the start of last year, CTP, I didn't think that was possible. No. I didn't. I thought Pat Cummins was going to be one of those guys, like a Nathan Cook to Nile, you know what I mean? Who has two games and then it's out for a month. Or James Pattinson, you know, he comes back into the side for a couple of weeks and then he's out for a year. Like, it's so wonderful to see Paddy Cummins fit, strong, bowling well. Yeah, definitely, mate. It's uh, massive, isn't it? Um you know, and he's going to play the first one day of the uh, of the ODI series as well, which is great. So, um, you know, fantastic to see him bowling well. I think it's something we hope to see from him for a very long period of time. Um, great to see that he's in fit and fighting form. Um, and, uh, you know, he certainly bowled well in the second dig as well. Let's talk about the Aussie innings. Uh, so, English ended up being bowled out in that first dig for 346, which we all believe in our heart of hearts was about 200 runs short on that pitch. Uh, Cameron Bancroft and David Warner strode out there, and after seven balls, Bancroft got an absolute cracker of a delivery from Stuart Broad. Probably the best delivery Stuart Broad's bowled all season. Pitched on a length, came back in, got him through the gate, ripped out middle and leg. Sorry, middle and off. Yeah. Um, Beautiful delivery. Best ball broads bowled all season. But CTB, I, I heard um, Michael Hussey talking about Bancroft's batting. Mm. And when Michael Hussey talks, I listen. Oh, you got um, it. Hey, look, Mr. Cricket, right? The clue's in the title. Mm-hmm. And the Huss was saying that it's a problem with his backlift. Right, that when right. Bancroft sets up, his backlift goes towards about second slip. Right. And means that when he gets a ball that comes back in off mm. the seam, that he's his bat swing kind of goes from second slip down towards his legs and then back out towards mid off yeah. in sort of a C shape. And it means that he's very susceptible to being bowled through the gate, mm. um, which for an opening batsman is a problem. Yeah. So, and when you look at him through this series, he's got bowled or um, LBW quite a few times. So I think the English have figured him out there. But at the same time, it doesn't sound like a huge problem to have to fix. So hopefully he can fix it before South Africa. Yeah, look, it's something that, that um, I think it's a really interesting point from Huss. Um, and look, it's a bit of a, a left field uh, kind of comparison. But in the world game, in football or football, um, and uh, football or you know soccer or whatever you want to call it um, but we'll call it football uh, the um, when a, a goalkeeper is learning to learning his craft uh, they talk a lot about angles oh, yeah. um, and <laughs> something that uh, young goalkeepers tend to do a lot is move in a bit of an arc um, and a lot of time is spent by various coaches kind of trying to coach that out um, because obviously the quickest uh, way to get between two points is a straight line. It's a straight line. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, when you're, a, when you're a football goalkeeper, you need as much time as you can get to react to, you know, various shots and, and all that kind of thing. And I can, could see similarities in, in that uh, from a, a backswing point of view in, in cricket when you're batting because obviously the ball's coming on you quite quick. So um, if you can, you know, get your backswing um, back and through uh, as quickly as possible, um, then it obviously gives you um, as much time as you can to, uh, first of all, get in position and, and then secondly, to make contact with the ball. I mean, his technique has obviously worked for him in Australian conditions, mm. but something like that would be exposed in the UK, especially, mm. to a great extent. So I think it's, it's in a way, it might be good that he's been found out and hopefully the, the, the coaches around the Australian team can, can help him through that. I mean, that really, that moment was England's only shining light in the yep. rest of this innings. From there, every Australian batsman down the order um, took the attack to him. David Warner made 56 off 104 and looked a bit scratchy, but by and large was pretty good. Um, and from there, it was the Kawaja and Smith show. Uh, Uzi Kawaja made 171, 381 mm. balls, a strike rate of 44, 18 fours and one six. He was not here to mess around, no, no, Uzi. Uh, how did you feel, CTB, watching him watching him do that? You've been such a big big fan of Usman Khawaja's this whole test series. Did it warm the cockles of your heart? Well, look, it certainly did, but it was another sweet and sour moment, Matt, uh, mate. And I'll tell you why. Because I did the Bob Beeman, mate. I, did, I jumped off. You did the Bob Beeman. You jumped off, CTB. Jumped off. You heard Celine Dion in the background and you were out of there. You know, for those who have listened to uh, all episodes of uh, Tufa so far, you know, I've backed him every test to make the most runs, just about. And uh, lo and behold, in Sydney, you know, uh, his previous time ground, I did the Bob Beeman. I jumped off and, of course, he absolutely cashed in um so putting my own personal agenda aside it was fantastic to see i think the uh you know first of all it was a really patient innings but uh definitely the thing which excited me the most 
was um, the way that he played the spinners. Um, I think he scored a six to bring up um, a milestone. Might have been fifty. Um, I think you're right. You know, yeah, it was a, it was a, a, a straight drive down the ground, which is absolutely spectacular. He used his feet, um, and you know when you consider at the start of the summer, people were saying Uzi can't play the spinners. We can't take Uzi to India. Blah 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 blah. Um, you know. It, it, in spin-friendly conditions in Sydney, um, you know, he did a great job of playing the spinners and uh, went on to make a big, dirty, fat one, and I couldn't be happier for him. <laughs> I did get a very sad text from Chris at uh, January 5, 5.45 p.m. that just said, should have stuck with Usman, dot, dot, dot. And I was like, poor CTB, such a big fan for such a long time. But look, it was very pleasing to see, Chris. I mean, you're absolutely right. I was so pleased to see his change in tactics there. I mean, Usman traditionally has gone back to the spinners and in the subcontinent, that proved to be a real problem for him. Mm. And it was great to see him come out of his crease. And not only did he come down the wicket and dance down, he also swept really well. And he's got a great set of wrists, Usman, so he should absolutely be doing that. Um, and, and nicely for him, uh, he was Mason Crane's first wicket. Uh, poor old Mason Crane. We should we should mention as well that he became the fourth English bowler in in his in Ashes history at least to get his first wicket on debut off a noe, mm. off a big old fat noe, a big fat dirty noe, um, and he would have had David Warner yeah. out. Um, but you know, Kawaja is not a bad replacement. So uh, it was. I was. I was a bit sad for for dear old Crano. You know what was exciting to see, mate? It was nice to see that Stephen Smith is not a time traveling robot sent back in time to yep. take runs, chew bubble gum, and kick ass, and that he's fresh out of bubble gum. He is in fact a normal human being uh, because he put a return catch to Moen Ali for 83 and God, wasn't he upset about it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was uh, not thrilled at the prospect of getting out, such as his uh, love of batting. Um, it was bloody well made 83 by the way. Um, but yeah, looked on course for a big fat one um, and uh, couldn't quite make it happen. Um, but Speaking uh, of big fat ones though, mate, speaking of big fat ones, uh, I don't think there's going to be any moment. I'm really, I'm really excited mm. about hearing your thoughts here, because uh, there's going to be no moment that's going to bring you CTB more joy than seeing two Marsh brothers make hundreds, oh. and that's exactly what they did. Uh, Sean Marsh made 156 off 291, and his brother Mitchell made 101. I mean, talk to me about Sauce first, mate. I mean, give me some thoughts about about that 156. Oh, mate. I mean, it was. Um it was it was a great innings, wasn't it? I mean, he still had some work to do when he came to the crease. Um, you know, I think uh, came in at three for two seventy four, so they were was they were still about seventy odd runs behind. Uh, and uh, you know, Australian middle orders of of recent years may have uh, found that task uh, a bit of a steep climb, but uh, came in batted beautifully. What more can you say? Really, it was just in total command from from ball one. Um, didn't really. He's look- so classy, sauce. So he? classy. Um, and mate, when he hits them, they freaking stay hit. Yeah, like they yeah. don't come back from the boundary. Even at the SCG, which was a really slow outfield, um, yeah. Sauce's shots for four still went and stayed there. Let me throw some stats at you, CTB. Uh, he finished the series with 445 runs at 156, mm. at an uh, oh, sorry, a high score of 156 with an average of 74.1. Yeah, which. In any other day you think would sound amazing until you read Steve Smith got 687 with a high score of 239 and an average of 137.4. I mean, that's outrageous. But Sauce's numbers there are brilliant. And given the amount of pressure that he was under when he came into the team, I I think he's done such a brilliant job for the Aussies. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Done fantastically well. Um, I think a little bit unlucky not to be included in the... um, ODI setup. Uh, I'd agree. To be fair, I'd absolutely agree. Most runs, I believe, most runs scored um, in a um, big bash season as well. So can clearly, wow. um, you know, can clearly um, play really play well. Play the shorter formats. In the shorter formats. Speaking of the shorter formats, mate, um, his brother Mitchell Marsh came to this crease once. Uh, Stephen Smith uh, chipped a catch back to Moeen Ali, and I mean mm. played. I mean, it played an incredible innings, really. Yep. Uh, 101 off 141, uh, 15 fours, two sixes. Yep. And Chris, when we talked about Michel Marsh, we talked about him when he was coming into the side in Perth. Mm. And we said that if he's going to play number six, we wanted to see three things from him. 
We wanted to see that he could bat with a tail. Mm-hmm. We wanted to see that he could hold out for a draw and batten down the hatches. And we wanted to see that he could counter punch when we were in the lead and put us over the top. And in those exact three tests since that point, he's mm-hmm. done those exact three things. Mm-hmm. And it's been fantastic to watch. Mm. I love this innings from Mitch. He was dominating. He smashed the spinners. He cut. He pulled. He drove. He was fantastic. But by far the best moment was the terrifying moment when he hit a two, punched a ball through cover and and ran a two on 99 to get his 100 and went to give his brother a high Mm. five in the middle of the field. And Soss was so excited that he went to give him a hug. Mitchell had to tell him to get back into his crease and it was nearly a comedy of errors. Following that, Tommy the Salad Curran or slash The Date um, bowled him an absolute corker to, to take out his off stump and mm. he was out for 101. But, mate, that moment on the middle of the field with the two of them was just pure gold. Yeah. No, it was. It was brilliant, wasn't it? Um, I think the most hilarious part of the whole thing was actually just watching Steve Smith's reactions in the dressing room. <laughs> in the dressing room. And what I love about that too is Petey Hans comes behind him having a zooper duper. Brilliant. <laughs> Really? He's just standing behind him, like clapping, sucking on a, sucking on a nice icy yeah, bottle. Right. If I can't be in the test team, somebody at least get me an ice cream. Um, you know what it means? Did. You know, he wasn't able to afford a uh, ice cream at the SCG. Oh, who can? Uh, <laughs> who can? Very few people. Uh, so he put a deposit down and, and went for the cheap robin and got a super deep. Oh, Petey Hanscom. He, Petey Hanscom was all of us in that moment. Um, no, great evenings from Mitchell Marsh there, mate. So wonderful to see the Marsh boys doing so well. Uh, Timmy Payne came in and and batted very well for 38. Mitchell Stark hit a four, a six, and a one and was out for 11 uh, to give Moeen Alley mm. his second wicket of the innings. Mm-hmm. And Paddy Cummins further, further proved Paddy Cummins further proved that he should be batting at six with a 24 off 16. For sure. Uh I mean, just get him in, ZTB. I, I put him in his opener, if you ask me. Uh, I'm all about that Paddy Cummins. I mean, okay, that's a bit cool. I'll take that back. Uh, Australia finished uh, with 649 mm. runs. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the bowlers, CTB, Moen Ali ended up with the most wickets with two for 170 off oh, 48 overs. Mm. Mason Crane bowled 48 overs, one for 193 which tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, I didn't feel like Mason Crane actually bowled that badly. I mean, we know, you know, Me Sh- Shane Warne, it's much touted that Shane Warne's debut figures were one for 156. And, you know, he, uh, way back when against uh, India, I think no- India. 91, yeah, yeah, yeah. 92 maybe. Um, yep. Got Ravi Shastri out of a, of a, a misfired slog. Um <laughs> But, um, you know, and I, sometimes that happens to a young leggy, doesn't it? Sometimes they just go for runs. Um, I think this is Oh, a- mate, we all remember uh, Bryce McGain, oh, Bryce one McGain. of our favourite cricketers on the pod. I got his debut for Australia at, what, 36 or 37? Yeah. Uh, and bowled up arguably some of the hottest, tastiest pies um, ever to, mm. to foresee test cricket mm. and got belted around. I can't remember what his figures were, but he went for a lot. Look, you could you could have sold those pies at the school fate and made a lot of money for the. <laughs> yeah, no, no question there. No, look, I did like seeing Mason Crane out there, and we said that he might go for a couple, um, but it was great to see him get a wicket, and he should have had two. Um, and and what was most interesting about MCTB was the amount of times that he ran to the, up to bowl a ball and then pulled out of it. Yeah. Um, the word I heard was he's been working with Stewie McGill, and that the McGiller told him that if he's not feeling comfortable about where the ball's going to come out of his hand, just to stop. Right, um, right, right. So not. Not terrible advice from Stewie there. I mean, he's got 200 test wickets, so he probably knows a thing. Fun fact about Stewie McGill, um, I don't... Yeah. There's two things about Stewie McGill. Um, first of all, uh, only only bowler I've ever seen who, well, can actively remember who, um, loves to bowl with a hand towel tucked into his oh. uh, pants. Um, yeah, loves a hand towel. And the second thing about Stewie McGill, if you YouTube it, um, you'll see that he, when he takes a wicket, he only ever celebrates from the elbows up. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, the bicep, the tricep, the shoulder—not involved. It's involved. all from the elbows. <laughs> all from the elbows. 
<laughs> Chris, how many hours of Stewie McGill celebrations have you watched to ascertain this information? Enough. <laughs> Just that's all you're prepared. To say. Enough. Enough. Um, no, look, uh, I like watching Stewie McGill and, and look, you know, two hundred plus Test wickets um, in another era probably would have done that. a lot more damage. But uh, it's hard times when you're sitting behind SK Warren. Well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Um, I tell you, who wish they had SK Warren on their side is England, especially in their in their second innings, known mm. to be quite handy with a bat. Yannick Shane, England came out needing to get a whole bunch of runs to even keep in the game, and they they had a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Alistair Cook was taken out by Lyon. Mike Stoneman got a quacker and was sent back packing. James Vince um, was got eighteen, and and Joe Root. Joe Root was a really interesting one. So, mm-hmm. uh, at the end of day four, he was batting and he was looking pretty good. Mm. Um, he'd got 30 or 40 to his name, but they had spent two long days out in the field. And mm. one thing we haven't mentioned, Chris, which we should, was the ridiculous weather which was happening here in Sydney. Um, I have a mate who's a cameraman at the cricket and some of his instruments registered that it got up to 50, over 50 degrees um, on the Sunday, um, which was just insane. Yeah, Sydney was sweltering. So, at a long time in the field. So, when it came to day five, there was some conjecture about Joe Root about whether he'd go to come out to bat at all. It turned out that he got sent to hospital. Now, right. the reason why is a little bit contentious. Uh, we got told when we arrived at the ground on day five that he was in hospital because of severe dehydration. Mm. Fair enough, fielding for two days in 50-degree heat. But then halfway through the day, an announcement came over the PA speaker that he actually had severe food poisoning. He caught a, right. a bug of some kind. Uh, and and that's why he wasn't able to bat. He did end up coming out on the second day. But I don't know what the reason behind that was. Would you reckon they were trying to say that uh, food poisoning is somehow more masculine, more manly, an injury than, Dude, than severe dehydration. I'm, I'm genuinely not sure. That strikes me as really odd because, um, especially it was made the, the announcement <clears throat> was made over the PA uh, system. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I would rather the people thought I had dehydration, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, than have had the inner workings of my large intestine and colon shared with the entire stadium. Um, <laughs> Do you know what's worse than that? It was over ABC Radio, so it was shared with the entire country. The entire country right. of Australia now knows that Joe Root was riding the Porcelain Express. Have the that he'd bought himself. <laughs> a round trip ticket and was going nowhere yeah. look i find it really yeah i just find it weird man because um you know if someone said to me look um you know i was playing i've been playing cricket in you know near 50 degree conditions for two days you know i have barely left the field i went out to bat i made a really solid 83 um then i fielded for two days got absolutely carted all over the park and then um you know the, the two opening bats you know got out really quickly so then i had to go in to save the game um and i was really sunburnt and if you look at the um look at the vision you can actually see that he's you know he's really red he's hot he's flustered and all that kind of thing he's got a big red nose, big red nose. he's gone full rudolph there you know, and I, I know a thing or two about sunburn i'd I'd say, you know what? That's totally fair enough, man. I can I can understand you're dehydrated. Go and get some fluids in you. That's a really serious situation, um, et cetera, et cetera. My, my wild theory about why they changed the diagnosis is um, that uh, maybe that they were trying to protect the integrity of the support staff because um, usually oh. it's the role... It's the role of the support staff in a team environment to make sure that uh, their their athletes are appropriately hydrated. Now, it's one thing to say, you know, fair enough if Joe Roots are actively refusing to take a drink and says, no, 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 I'm right, mate. But, you know, it's it's another thing if he's not being properly monitored. And perhaps they're trying to divert some questions. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, it, as I said, it is a, a completely wild, unfounded no, Chris, uh, I don't think it's too unfounded there, mate, because Simon Kadich was saying that when he played for Australia, you had to turn up at the ground with a certain amount of fluids mm. in you that they'd test you as soon as you arrived. And if you didn't have the required amount of fluids that they would uh, get you require you to put them into yourself mm. to, to fluid up before you took to the field. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd be replaced for the, by the 12th man until you were able to take the, to take the field. 
So I, I think that does make some scary amounts of sense, CTB. Well, um, maybe it, it was a saving it, of face. It, it's an occupational hazard, isn't it? If if you um, absolutely is. You know, if, you, if you're playing, you know, you're outside in, uh, you know, forty degree heat, or if you're in the middle of it, you know, if you're in India and it's hot and humid and sticky and all that kind of thing, if um, you know, the person's dehydrated. That's a that's a genuine hazard to their health, and uh, you know we all know how um, uh, responsive and sensitive now sta- uh, sporting associations are to uh, um, you know the prospect of uh, uh, litigious action. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, on that note, CTB, let's cut to my uh, day five supercut and and hear a bit of what it was like to be at the ground on day five when the English wickets fell apart and Australia won the Ashes. The music today by the Barmy Army. Welcome to Two For None. My name is Patrick Cullen and I am here today at the SCG with my partner, Sean Eggington. He's very excited to be here. Uh-oh. Mitchell's Dark is warming up down amid on the favourite position of fast bowlers worldwide, including this handsome guy. Watch out, England. The uh, old peso meter is about to get revved up. So long, Molly. Nathan Lyon gets him again. The crowd goes wild. <laughs> Question now, is Joe Root going to come out? Puts up first wicket of day five, and that of Moenati, LBW for 13. Joe Root comes out. Well done, man. Well done. So at the lunch break, uh, the Poms are currently 5 for 144 uh, with Bear and Root at the crease. Sean, do you reckon that they're going to hold out for the rest of the day? Oh, well, they look pretty convincing at the moment, but we'll see. There's a new ball coming into play, so that might shake things up a bit. That could well shake things up. I also, uh, just for the benefit of the pod, went and put a deposit down on two ice creams. Um, Sean and I were thinking about maybe buying a house one day. Those plans are now officially on hold. But to be fair, the ice cream is pretty good. Well, so 50-50. Johnny Besto strolling off the crease, head dead in front. Yes, that's pummeling into leg stump. How'd you like that? Is that the worst DRS challenge any of us have ever seen? Uh, it may be. It may be. It's definitely out there. <laughs> Terrible challenge from Mason Green. Just the worst. You know, he was just, you know, digging the bubble of the barrel. Seeing if anything stuck. First ball after the drinks break. Jimmy Anderson edge behind. Australia win! Hooray! There you are, CTB. And with that, it was all wrapped up in a nice little bow. I do want to touch on Mason Crane's horrendous DRS review that he sent mm-hmm. through. It was just the worst. He smashed that ball through to Tim Payne. He abbed, It was one of the best shots he played all day. <laughs> he middled it and reviewed it. And it meant that James Anderson, when he came out to bat, had no reviews left after he thought he didn't hit it at the end there. Well, but, mate, it ended up being a pretty convincing victory, don't you think? I'll tell you what, mate. It, uh, it does take Sherlock Holmes to work out that that was a Watson. Um, <laughs> not the best review of all time. Shane Watson has many fine qualities, many fine qualities. Many. Um, all accounts, I read an article during the week that says that he's a, a lovely man. But, uh, oh, and a good salad too, CTB. Uh, renowned for some great oh, head salad. Um, top notch. Not not the best reviewer. So perhaps something to uh, to look out for Mason Crane. But yeah, look, it was pretty comprehensive in the end, wasn't it? Um, what was interesting, I think, was when the game was won, Jimmy Anderson felt he had a genuine gripe for a review, but then was left without uh, any tools. So um, maybe he might have had a few choice words there too. Um, Mason Crane at the end. I thought what was also interesting um, as well, and I think it probably just shows what a good cricketer and, and his senior status within uh, within the team and within the game, was that uh, when Joe Root was unable to return to the field for the second time because he was you know he was unconscious, um, Jimmy Anderson actually performed all the post match duties as well. So um, yeah, I, I think there's a big big shout there to Jimmy Anderson because he toiled away in conditions that potentially didn't suit his style of bowling. Um, but um, you know, at the end of the day, his figures for the series um, were reasonable. And, um, you know, he can certainly be one of the Englishmen that can hold their head up uh, nice and high. 
Well, look, mate, he ended up finishing with 17 wickets at 27, which mm. for a swing bowler from England and Australia is, is pretty pretty great, really. Um, and, and, and as you say, sir, it ended up being pretty comprehensive. It was a great day out, though, and, and uh, I had a really great time being there. I'm hoping I can get down to the next ODI that's in Sydney as well, but I'll just have to see how I track there. Uh, mate, let's just get three highlights from you. Um, before we wrap up on the test series and move to the ODIs, what were your three highlights, Chris, across these five tests? Because you and I love test cricket, but I, I would love to just pull out a couple of bits that really just just made you happy that test cricket was on your television and people were loving it. Uh, look, I think the first one for me has to be the ball of the summer from Mitchell Stark. Um, oh. That was a jaffa, wasn't it? <laughs> Around the Goodness. wicket. Um, you know, I don't even know how that how that thing straightened up. That was ridiculous. Um, definitely, that'll be replayed uh, on um, you know video clips on the internet for many years to come. Um, I think the second thing for me has to be the performance of uh, uh, the superhuman performance of Sean Marsh, um, who I will now uh, give the moniker the Swamp Thing. Um, <laughs> I don't know if uh, our listeners are familiar with Swamp Thing. He is one of the most powerful uh, beings in the DC universe. And if you haven't read the Swamp Thing comic book uh, by Alan Moore, do it. It's just awesome. I love it. Uh, And I love him. So those things go together nicely, uh, the Swamp Thing. Um, Obviously, Mitch Marsh as well. We're bundling there um, into the the highlight um, there with Marsh performances. Um, And then the third one for me um, has to be... um, Nathan Lyons fielding. Uh, as, as, yeah. as, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, um, you know, spinners are not noted uh, fielders, um, but, you know, that, that's a terrific run out, um, some great catches, um, and, uh, again, he's just a great entertainer, Nathan Lyons. So always a pleasure to watch him play. Absolutely, mate, absolutely. And, look, for me, um, I've got to say the number one highlight for me was Stephen Smith. His batting throughout this whole series was incredible, and I thought his captaincy was really great. It was well. He rotated his bowlers. He, you know, when he declared, it always proved out to be that he did that sort of thing at, at excellent times. Um, and, and again, like just watching him bat is insane. How he hits the ball, where he hits it. I mean, I, I feel sorry for bowlers sometimes watching him do it. He was just exceptional. Um, so he's my first highlight. I want to mention my second highlight is Nathan Lyon's run out at the Brisbane test. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that falls into yours about his fielding, but um, that specific moment, I think, mm. changed the entire series. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so unexpected. England were doing so well, and and it, it really came out of nowhere, and, and that was awesome. And, and mate, I, you and I have talked about this extensively, but my third highlight actually has to be Mitchell Marsh's 29 that he right. made to draw the game in Melbourne. Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, Tom Hawkey and I had this long-running joke about Ian Bell uh, and, and, and how, you know, every time Ian Bell made runs, uh, this is sort of like 2005 through to 2009, Ian Bell would make runs and get a duck the next game. But every time he made runs, the English press would say, oh, he's come of age, Ian Bell, it's his time, he's come of age. Uh, and he came of age about 15 times. But I do believe that this is Mitchell Marsh's coming of age. I think Mitchell Marsh has really turned a corner and that innings even though he didn't he put away all of his attacking instincts and did something totally opposite and it was it was wonderful to see yeah absolutely i was it was an enormous performance and uh you know i think that's one of the things about test cricket um is uh once you're so ingrained in it um even the act of doing nothing being deliberately obstructive is enthralling (laughs) um and uh i agree with you that's got to be one of the highlights of the series Mate, let's have a quick look at the ODIs um, coming up soon. The first one is tomorrow, January 14, at the MCG, which I'll be tuning into. Um, CTB, uh, big, big team selection there. Uh, Smith, Warner, Cummins, Aaron Finch, Josh Hazelwood, Travis Head, Mitchell Marsh, Tim Payne, Jai Richardson, Mitchell Stark, mm-hmm. Stoyness, Ty, Adam Zampa, mm-hmm. and then the big one is Cameron the Bear White, yeah. um, who has not played a test or a, an ODI for Australia in quite some time. Mate, how pleased were you see? Well, how pleased were you to see the Bear back in Aussie colours? Oh, man, I think it's a great selection. Um, you know, he's been in terrific form domestically for the last couple of years, um, and brings um, a couple of really 
good things um, to any Australian team or any team that he plays for. Um, first and foremost, um, obviously, you know, he's making runs at a, at a good clip. Um, so that's really important. Um, but some of the other things he brings is leadership. You know, he's got a really yeah. good cricket brain. Um, he, I think he was the youngest ever captain of Victoria. Um, you know, back when uh, you know, we all thought that he was uh, uh, perhaps the next leg-spinning prodigy um, and, and was due to play. How wrong we were. <laughs> How wrong we were. Um, and then we were wrong again with Steve Smith, but there you go. Ooh, yep. um, but, uh, you, you know, uh, so he's a great, yeah, he's a great leader. Um you know, he's making runs. Um, and, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll throw him the ball um, and he can, can give a couple of overs as well um, with his with his leg. He's sort of bowls similar-ish, I think, to Anil Kumble. Um, a lot of toppies. And, yeah, lots of toppies, lots of wrong Yeah, not so, much, not so much with the sideways uh, spin. But um, I think it's a great selection. I think the... Um, um, other thing for me is I'm. <clears throat> I understand why you want to you want to pick a team that you can build towards the World Cup, but I really like the concept of um, picking the um, best uh, player on the day uh, who can do the job. And Cameron White to me is certainly that. Absolutely, mate. And let's have a quick look at England. Um, Ian Morgan is captain, who we are a big fan of on the pod. We haven't mentioned him before, but I just know that Chris and I both are. Uh, Moen Ali, Johnny Bairstow, Jake Ball, Sam Billings, Butler, Tom C- the Date Curran, Alex the Rain Hales, Dawid Welsh Milan, Liam Plunkett, Adil Rashid, Joey Root, Jason Roy, uh, David Willey. Chris Wokes and Mark Wood. I mean, for those guys, mate, I'm pretty excited about seeing Mark Wood because he bowls at a fair clip. Liam Plunkett is a handy cricketer. Um, Adil Rashid, I think, was unlucky to miss out in test mm. selection, to be honest. He's a very, very solid leggy. Um, and I think they'll be well led by Owen Morgan, mate. Um, how do you feel about sort of David Willey and Sam Billings and Jake Ball? I don't really know those guys that well. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, Owen Morgan, uh, not Owen Morgan. Oh, <laughs> Jeez, that's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, I'm leaving that in, even though it breaks my heart. Um, that's just racism. Yeah, good work, Pat. Uh, Owen could be interesting. Um, Owen, nah, but uh, look, I think um, who else? Uh, no, David Willey's a gun. Um, absolute gun plays for Perth Scorchers. Done a terrific job for them. Uh, usually opens the batting uh, and the bowling. Uh, I think for England, interesting for the Scorchers has been coming on about second or third change, but uh, has been known to open the bowling limit of this format. He's a weapon. Um, you know, Jason Roy can score very quickly. Um, same with Alex Hales. Uh, I got to tell you, the English ODI team is a lot more formidable um, than the Test lineup. Um, so I think we're going to see um, five really closely contested games. CTB, can I grab from you who you think is going to get the runs, who you think is going to get the wickets, and who you think is going to win? Uh, runs for me, um, look hard to go past. Um, Steve Smith, isn't it? I think it'll it'll come to him as well to to star in the ODI format. And and wickets again, I think I'll go for the obvious choice with uh, Mitchell Stark to get them swinging down there in Melbourne. Good plan, mate. Are you picking the Aussies for the victory? Uh, yes, I think that's uh, that's the way to go. And that's a pretty safe choice. Uh, I'm going to back Aaron Finch to get the runs, uh, just because I reckon it's time. It's time for Finchie. Uh, And I'm going to say Mark Wood's going to get the wickets, just as a totally left field selection. But I reckon the Aussies are going to win it. Um, CTB, let's hear from our British correspondent, Tom K. Hawkey, who I believe has some tips for the English team going forward. And so ends the Ashes in predictable fashion. I doubt I can offer much better insights than you guys have with regards to the final test. So instead, I've come up with five top tips for future Ashes glory for the England team. I only hope friend of the pod Joe Root is listening. Top tip one. Learn to lose. The coin toss. In five matches, Root won the toss four times. Those were also the four tests that England lost. Clearly, he needs to get better at losing the toss so that England stand a better chance of victory, or in the case of the MCG, grinding out a ball draw. Top tip two. Compared to England, grounds around the world are often total roads, and we don't know how to play on them. So, to prepare for playing on roads of the future, why not turn the strip at Lords into an actual road? Bonus points for running tight twos during rush hour traffic. Top tip three. 
change the rules. Look, we invented this bloody sport, so we should A, be the best at it, and B, if we're not the best at it, we should change the rules so that we are the best at it. Top tip four, play better cricket. And top tip five, kidnap Steve Smith. If possible, fudge his birth certificate so he can represent England in future. To say this series has been disappointing is an understatement. To say it's been surprising is an outright lie. The English one-day squad should provide stiffer competition, and Lord knows we need something of a contest and soon. Sure, there are glimmers of hope in the test team for the future, but for now, the time is right to just sit and maintain a stiff upper lip while stirring our cups of tea. And then, of course, plan Steve Smith's kidnap. Thank you so much to Tom K. Hawkey for all of his insight over the last five tests. Uh, so great to have him on the team. What a legend. Our favourite Englishman on the pod without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, CTB, the MCG, tomorrow for the first ODI. Are you sad to see the back of test cricket? Uh, are you excited about the next series? Where are you at, sir? Well, look, always sad to see the, uh, the back of test cricket, mate. But uh, look, plenty of good stuff to get through in the ODIs. And uh, thankfully, it's uh, not too far away. Um, with the first game tomorrow. Fantastic stuff. Thank you very much, Chris, for being with me as per usual. We will be back after the next ODI in the next couple of days to give you a bit of a wrap-up of that. And we will be speaking to you soon. If Please like our page on Facebook and give us some stars if you get the chance in the iTunes store. That really helps us get some more listeners. Thank you so much for listening for Two for None. I will speak to you soon and go the Aussies.